In the future, a Superman will emerge on the world scene, but he'll be totally satanic. We learn about Satan's Superman principally in two apocalypses in the Bible, in both the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation. But there are also references to him in the Gospels and the Epistles, especially in 2 Thessalonians written by the Apostle Paul. The fact that so many signs are lining up pointing to the emergence of the Antichrist surely means that the rapture and the second coming of Jesus are near. But is the church ready? What should we be doing in the meantime? Shalom, I'm Christine Darg. Many signs are lining up that point to the soon inevitable appearance of the Antichrist. Signs such as the relentless push for global government, the demand that nations no longer have borders, technological systems to microchip and track individuals, the coming cashless society, terrorism and chaos that cause people to yearn for a strong man soon to play a crucial role in the last days, immediately prior to the second coming of Jesus, will be history's darkest hour, led by the sinister character known in the Bible as the Antichrist, or the Beast. Throughout history, there have been many archetypal Antichrist figures, such as Antiochus Epiphanes in the days of the Jewish Maccabee warriors. And in more recent history, of course, Adolf Hitler was a forerunner of Antichrist. Yet to come is an even worse, a final blasphemer, the ultimate Antichrist. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 3, the Apostle Paul labeled him as the man of lawlessness and the son of destruction, whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish. The Apostle John in the book of Revelation called him the beast, perhaps implying he'll be a hybrid of some sort, part human, part devil. In light of plans to construct a third temple in Jerusalem, there's talk of it all the time. I believe it's certainly no coincidence that we have a key prophecy in 2 Thessalonians 2, 4 describing the coming world dictator as one who opposes and exalts himself above everything that's called God or is worshiped. So that it says he sets himself up in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. So that verse guarantees that a third temple will be built, but it will be temporarily defiled by Antichrist, a situation that Jesus himself called the abomination of desolation standing in the holy place. This diabolical man waiting in the wings will be Satan's masterpiece, Satan's Superman. The devil's desperate last ditch attempt to be worshiped and to oppose Jesus, the true Messiah, while attempting to destroy anybody who worships the God of Israel. In his very short career, the Bible tells us that the Antichrist will attempt to banish the name of God and Jesus from the earth. As the Apostle John informs us in 1 John chapter 2, 
This pseudo-Christ spirit is actually nothing new. John penned his warning against antichrists, saying, Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the antichrist is coming, even now, many antichrists, many pseudo-Christs have come. He meant that the spirit of antichrist has always been around, always opposing God's holy purposes. It's existed throughout the history of redemption, but it hasn't yet developed to its full and final embodiment. That will be the ultimate antichrist, the epitome of lawlessness, the embodiment of all previous pseudo-Christ rolled into one. Well, today we're going to look at his profile in the book of Daniel and also receive some very important and practical advice from the book of Daniel. In chapter 7, this sinister character is introduced as a little horn on a head, as if his beginning is not very significant. He's just one little horn among 10 others. But eventually, it says, he rises to prominence and looms over the others on top of the head of a beast, the most ferocious of four beasts representing world empires that the prophet Daniel saw. Daniel said, in my night vision, verse 7, I looked and there was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening, very powerful. This final beast had ten horns. But in verse 8, a little horn came up among the other horns. But this little horn had eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth that spoke great boasts and arrogant things. So like Hitler, the Antichrist will be a mesmerizing orator, willful, proud, and boastful. He'll speak against God with unfeigned blasphemy. He'll slander the Most High God and oppress believers on the earth at that time. Now, in verse 25 of chapter 7, it says that he'll also try to change laws and seasons. This means that he'll implement blasphemous alterations to the moral and ethical codes of the world. Already the spirit of lawlessness is raging in our world. It seems that every day brings a new and scandalous outrage. But the ultimate antichrist, Satan's Superman, will instigate new laws to alter and obliterate God's laws, all satanically inspired and absolutely contrary to God's will. He'll counsel old milestones and instigate new celebrations, no doubt in honor of his one world religion, incorporating worship of himself and the dark god of forces. In verse 25, it's prophesied that the saints will be handed over to him for three and a half years. This is speaking of Bible believers at the time, and he will wear them out. Again, let's interpret scripture with scripture and look at a reference to Antichrist in Revelation chapter 13, where it says he has a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies, and he has authority to act for 42 months. That's the same time period given by Daniel, amounting to three and a half years. You see, the Bible is consistent within itself. But then, in, back in Daniel, verse 26, it says, His power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. This is because Daniel also saw in the night vision a preview of the second coming of Jesus. 
Do you remember after his resurrection, Jesus ascended in the clouds and his disciples were told that he'll return in like manner in the clouds? Well, Daniel had a vision of one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven with authority, glory, and dominion over all nations, and his kingdom will never be destroyed. Hallelujah. Well, when rebels against God have become completely wicked in the last days, God is going to allow the Antichrist to be unleashed, and we're given further clues into the profile of this coming man of sin in Daniel chapter 8. In verse 23, he's described as a stern, fierce-faced king. So that means he'll be extremely intimidating and manipulating. The commentaries say that his description of a fierce countenance means that he will have shameless audacity. He'll be destitute of shame. And it says he'll also be a master of intrigue and dark arts, full of craft and deceitful subtlety. He'll be a master of wiles, it says, understanding dark sentences, meaning he'll be actually in communion with devils of hell. Verse 24 continues, his power will be mighty, but not by his own power. So let's allow scripture to interpret scripture again. And so over in Revelation 13, um, verse 2, we're informed that it's Satan who empowers the Antichrist. It says, the dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. He's going to be indwelt by Satan. That's why, as Daniel prophesied, his power will be mighty, but not by his own power. While the genuine Messiah went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, but the pseudo-Christ's agenda will only be malicious destruction. Verse 24 of Daniel 8 goes on that he will cause astounding devastation and will succeed in whatever he does. He will destroy the mighty men and the holy people. Verse 25, he will cause deceit to prosper and he will consider himself superior. And this is why I'm wary and weary of false peace plans involving Israel because Daniel 8.25 goes on to say that it will be through the process of peace that many will be destroyed. You see, using the smokescreen of peace, the pseudo-Christ will attempt to destroy the people relying on a false security. Yet this verse goes on, he will be destroyed, but not by human power. This is because the Antichrist will be overthrown by the Lord and destroyed by the splendor of Jesus' second coming. Several scriptures testify to this. Now, in Daniel chapter 11, we have more clues about Antichrist, and I'm going to start with verse 36. It says, He will do exactly as He pleases. He will exalt and magnify Himself above every god, and will say unheard of things against the God of gods. He will be successful until the time of wrath. God's wrath is completed for what has been determined must take place. And now the next verse 37 is, is very interesting because note this, he will show no regard for the God of his fathers. And it adds, he has no regard for the desire of women. Now, what does this mean? 
Commentators interpret this in a number of ways. Either it refers to distaste for women and his sexual orientation, or perhaps it's another way of saying that he'll have no regard for a Messiah because the Messiah was called amongst the Jewish people the desire of women, meaning that every Jewish mother desired the honor of giving birth to Messiah. But of course, Mary, the mother of Jesus, has already had that distinct and unique honor. Then in verse 38, it says, instead, the only God he honors is the God of fortresses or the God of war, a God whom his fathers didn't know. But he'll come to an end and no one will help him. Now, as I've already mentioned in greater detail in my previous Hanukkah video, Satan has given the world a number of previews of the Antichrist, in particular in the evil person of Antiochus, a king of Syria, who lived about a century and a half before Jesus. He had the audacity to name himself Antiochus Epiphanes, meaning God manifested, just as the Lord Jesus was Emmanuel, God with us, God manifested in the flesh, Antiochus, arrogantly in his self-delusion, claimed to be Epiphanes. Most conquerors ignored or tolerated the religion of the people that they conquered, but Antiochus forced paganism on the Jews. He invaded Jerusalem and sold many Jews as slaves and slaughtered thousands of others. He made it a crime punishable by death to circumcise a child or to own a copy of the Torah. He desecrated the temple by stopping the daily sacrifice to God and then erecting an altar to Zeus and offering a pig on it to blaspheme God and the Jewish people. The priest's quarters were turned into brothels. By doing all of these abominations, the sanctuary was left desolate. And in Matthew 24, 15, the great Olivet Discourse, Jesus prophesied about these things as the abomination that makes desolate to be repeated in the time of Jacob's trouble by the Antichrist, of whom Antiochus was only a forerunner. Thankfully, in the days of Antiochus, and remember he's a type of the Antichrist, God raised up the priestly Maccabee family to lead a revolt that spared the Jewish people. Think about this, if Antiochus had succeeded in wiping out Judaism, Jesus, Emmanuel, wouldn't have been able to come to Israel at the right and exact moment in history. But the Maccabees prevailed. This time, Satan's plan for the final Antichrist will be circumvented by the Lord's second coming. This time it won't be Jewish warriors who will save Israel, but Jesus himself, the Lion of Judah, will intervene and return with the armies of heaven. Well, in more recent history, Hitler's systematic attempt to destroy the Jewish people was a satanic plot to try to stop God from fulfilling Bible prophecy and redeeming the nation of Israel. Hitler was an attempt to prevent the Lord from doing what the disciples had hoped Jesus would do before he ascended to heaven. At that time, they asked, Lord, will you now restore the kingdom to Israel? But he told them that they had to wait before the kingdom is 
restored to Israel, first they must preach the gospel of salvation to all nations. Now, because Israel's kingdom has been put on hold and delayed for nearly 2,000 years of church history, you and I have had the opportunity to be born and to get saved. The fullness of the Gentiles has been filling up the church through the centuries. But soon, God will release, as it were, the pause button and the kingdom will be restored once again to Israel. And Jesus will return to a repentant Israel that will finally welcome him. So Hitler was one of Satan's attempts to engineer the ultimate antichrist to stop Bible prophecy. I'm sure that many Christians who lived through Hitler's reign of terror thought that he was the final antichrist. You see, prominent men of God referred to him as the beast. The swastika symbol of the Nazis was nothing original. It was imported by Hitler and his occultic henchmen. It was a superstitious, magical symbol from Eastern religions and the occult. In fact, some historians have described Hitler as a medium who was possessed by demonic power. One of my earliest childhood memories was an open vision of Jesus. The risen Lord Jesus healed me of a life-threatening illness. I was born again as a child and received the Lord publicly as my Savior at a very early age. So as a child, when I first learned about the horrors of the Holocaust and saw photos of Hitler's regime and the swastika symbol, I was already born again, and so my spirit was immediately repelled by that symbol. I think my repulsion to the swastika is a good example of the words of the Apostle John in 1 John 2.27, in which he stated, The anointing you receive from the Lord remains in you, and you have no need for any man to teach you, but his anointing teaches you about all things. Now, John didn't mean that we believers would not have need for Bible teachers. We all need competent teachers and mentors. What John meant is that the teaching anointing of the Holy Spirit who comes to dwell in us would be our constant and ultimate teacher to override any false teaching through a knowing within, by a check or caution in our spirits. Because when we're born again, the Spirit of God comes to dwell in us and leads us into all truth. And so the anointing of the Holy Spirit within my young spirit instructed me. I was repelled. I was inwardly repulsed by that Nazi symbol. I just knew by the Spirit of God it was evil, and I knew by the Spirit's anointing that it was wrong to see a swastika on national flags, on banners and uniforms. But Hitler failed, and because Satan will take one last stab at ruling the world, the ultimate antichrist will be like Hitler on steroids, a totally ruthless man bent on destroying Israel, persecuting true believers, blaspheming the God of Israel and his Messiah to promote worship of himself and lead the world to hell. Like Hitler, he will no doubt design his own symbol and logo, and he and his program will trigger the day of the Lord, the day of God's judgment. Zephaniah 1.15 describes the day of the Lord as a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress. 
a day of devastation and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, of clouds and thick darkness. But Paul said to Thessalonians who were confused about the day of the Lord and the timing of the Antichrist's appearing, that they were not in the dark, that that day should overtake them as a thief. Paul said the day of the Lord will take the world, the unbelievers by surprise, and they, the unbelievers, will not escape. But he said we will because he prophesied in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call, the shofar of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we'll always be with the Lord. Therefore, Paul said, comfort one another with these words. And that hope is our great comfort, the hope of the rapture. But in the meantime, every evangelist grieves to think of the great number of people who will be left behind and deceived. That's why intercessors press into the Lord, beseeching him for revivals and genuine moves of the Holy Spirit so that as many souls as possible can be saved. I'm comforted by the fact that God's word promises that Israel will be saved before judgment day. But what are we going to do about all the souls from every nation, tribe, and tongue who must also hear the gospel? We need to be engaged in asking the Lord of the harvest to save as many as can be saved before the revelation of the Antichrist. Because once the restrainer is removed and he appears, he will slander the truth as never before, and people will be deluded to believe a lie. While the Antichrist sets himself against God and magnifies himself against the Prince of Peace, Jesus, a positive thought is this. Whoever this little horn, this king or warrior-like leader turns out to be, and no matter where it turns out that he's from, because there's so much speculation about all of that, thankfully he will be the very last ruler of the bestial world power upon this earth. After him, there'll be no more antichrists because Jesus himself will return to take over the reins of planet earth. Hallelujah. Well, now the next chapter of Daniel chapter 12 tells us that at that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who protects your people, Israel. In Daniel 12, 2, we learn that the short days of the Antichrist will be a time of distress upon the earth, such as has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But the warrior angel Michael, the great prince who oversees and protects Israel, will stand up on their behalf. And it'll be a time of resurrection, Daniel said, when multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. But listen, listen to verse 3 of chapter 12. Those who are wise, the promise is, will shine like the brightness of the heavens. And those who lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever and ever. 
So this last chapter of Daniel, chapter 12, gives us our marching orders. We're to be wise and shine. We're to lead many to a right standing with God. And it says this is true wisdom. Let's purpose more and more to understand these verses and to put them into practice. The New Testament speaks of believers as a great cloud of witnesses, but here wise believers are compared to the stars of the sky. And this brings to mind the promise that God made to Abraham when he said in Genesis 15:5, look up at the heavens and count the stars if you can. God said, so shall your offspring be. And you know what? Abraham believed the Lord's promise and his faith was credited to him as righteousness. So here we learn an important principle throughout the Bible about saving faith. Abram's faith saved him and caused God's righteousness to be imputed to him, imparted to him. You see, it's by grace that you are saved through faith. It's not from ourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, to keep us from boasting. It's faith. So if you know the Savior, you can rejoice. But if you don't, you must fear him who's able to destroy both soul and body in hell. I invite you to come to the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, the only one who can save us, who has died for us and risen again and offers us the free gift of forgiveness, eternal life, and blessedness in heaven. The world needs more evangelists. Our text in Daniel 12 one of my favorites says, those that turn many to righteousness will shine as the stars forever. This refers to evangelicals who are not only wise unto salvation for their own souls, but they also have the presence of mind, the wisdom, the patience, and love to endeavor to bring others to a saving knowledge of the Lord. The commentaries ask, is that not life's noblest aim to bring others to God? Well, I have to ask, if you found the pearl of great price, the Lord Jesus, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, do you share him or hoard him? You may ask, well, how do I even begin to turn many to righteousness? Well, it's only by being led by the Holy Spirit through prayer, through spirit-led actions, by offering the Lord's free gift of salvation to others as we're constantly led by the Holy Spirit. The truly noble and courageous life seeks to serve and save others, the lost in the nations. We don't cast our pearls before swine, before those who are, are hate God, but we can either pray or pay for preachers to go or be willing to go ourselves to fulfill the Lord's great commission. And Daniel 11.32, the verse on which these programs are based, testifies that the people who know their God will be strong and will do the exploits that the Lord calls each one of us individually to do. Amen. So I'd like to invite you to stay in contact on social media where we can encourage one another, or you can contact me at our website at exploits.tv where you can sign up to receive our free color magazine, Exploits. A reminder also, our Jerusalem Channel app is available free to download from your app store so you can watch our videos at any time. And so until next time 
always contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem. I'm Christine Darg, Maranatha, and Shalom.